I'm Grace Nosek, and this is Planet Potluck, a podcast sharing the stories of joy, hope, and community people find in the climate fight. Today, we'll be talking to Kate Hyam. Kate has worked in international human rights for many years and is currently the inaugural coordinator of the University of British Columbia Climate Hub. Kate, do you remember how we met? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one. We we didn't meet. We were told about each other repeatedly. And people kept saying, you've got to meet this woman, Grace. She's amazing. You're going to love her. I think you guys will be best friends. And then uh, I think we did eventually meet at a, a environmental. A oh, yeah. On a on a hike and yeah. a hike organized by an environmental group. Yeah. You were wearing overalls. And I was like, yes, I've been searching <laughs> for a pair of tr- overalls for like like two years and same thing people have been like you have to meet this woman Kate you have so much in common and I was just like friends I love friends like this is exciting uh yeah and then we started and I I remember I think the second time we hung out I said to you uh I feel like we're best friends (laughs) (laughs) I remember that we were at the beach (laughs) I'd known you for exactly I don't know three hours maybe cumulative uh, yeah, and then I was like, so I'm going to treat you like my best friend. Something like that, right? Yeah, and I said, that seemed like a great plan. <laughs> and we proceeded from that. Yeah, yeah, and it's been pretty good ever since. Uh, and yeah, so one of the other things I love about us is that we live close to each other. And we love to go for walks on the beach. But then we'll start walking home towards my house. <laughs> and then Kate will just walk with me. And then I'm like, okay, well, I should walk you home now. Yeah. And so then we'll walk back to your house. And then you're like, well, I should walk you home. And so we kind of have this infinite... Yeah, infinite regression of walking home <laughs> that always ends up on the corner of, like, Trutch and Third. Yeah, yeah, just in between, in between our two houses, uh, which is great. And then the final thing that really cracks me up about us is that I will occasionally slip into a terrible British accent. I really hope you do it during this recording, Grace. <laughs> I really hope I don't. I'm so sorry ahead of time if I do. Uh, but, yeah, I've actually, you have told me that I am kind of making your accent sound faker and wilder because I kind of do an Eliza Doolittle and then you pick up on mine. <laughs> yeah, I have been been talking <laughs> very differently yeah. if I hang out with you all afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I'll try not to do it, as I said today. Um, so, so with that, let's dive right in. So for the last couple of years, you've been researching and working on the intersection of corporate accountability, climate change, and human rights law. Before that, you worked on death penalty cases in the Middle East and South Asia. Can you talk about the connection between those two lines of work? Yeah, so there's, they're connected in two ways for me. So there's a there's a sort of clear, um, real political connection between the two, and then there's a, a really deeply personal connection um, for me. And the the political connection is uh, kind of related to the the political situation, particularly in the Middle East. Uh, and to uh, the fact that the death penalty is uh, on the rise, often in response to um, social justice movements, political protests, and we're seeing a lot of people being sentenced to death for their role in protest movements. And and a lot of the time, there is a a conflict around the unjust, uh, inequitable distribution of the risks and benefits associated with extracting natural mm. resources that uh contributes to those those social justice mm. um issues or uh is at the core um root of some of those protests 
But as I said, they're also uh, connected for me personally. Um, and uh, really, I think my my work on um, the death penalty helped me to uh, start thinking about what is really important to me in life. So I, I worked for many years um, on this issue. And in 2015 and 2016, I had a lot of cases um, where we had execution warrants, often in, in very quick succession. So uh, there was a point where I had three cases I'd been working on with execution warrants in one week. Uh, and wow. I had this intense nonstop work on these cases um, for about 18 months. And then Due to a number of factors, including the work that some of the, my incredible colleagues and friends had been doing, um, we had a bit of a let up in executions and things became slightly less intense for me at work. Uh, but I was reflecting on what is really important in life because I'd been sort of so close to these life and death issues mm. for such a long time. And, and I finally had this space, thanks to the slowdown in executions, to really think about that. And kind of organically, while I was in this space and, and thinking about what's important to me, I started thinking a lot about climate change, mm -hmm. thinking about it, reading about it, going to protests, getting more active, more engaged. And I realized that fundamentally, you know, climate change is the biggest human rights issue of our time. Mm -hmm. It's going to exacerbate other human rights um, issues if we if we let it get to this to the uh, point that it could go to without action. Um, and it is an, an issue that it takes a lot uh, to, to look head on in the face. But I am so pleased that I did because it's what brought me here. Uh, mm. It's what <laughs> led me to <laughs> meet and become friends with you. Um, and it's opened up a whole world of kind of looking at this thing, recognizing its urgency and taking action and, and really working with some incredible people to do what I think is the most important work we can be doing at this time. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. And I've seen you really be spearheading this connection of climate change and human rights. Um, and one way I've seen you do that, and I have to confess I'm a little obsessed with it, is your research that you did for your Master's of Law. Can you tell the folks listening about that research and about your thesis? Yeah, so um, I was really inspired by... Uh, a number of legal cases, climate accountability cases that have been happening around the world where people have been going to governments uh, and in some cases businesses and saying, you need to do more to act on climate change. In the case of governments, you need to do more to protect our human rights uh, and the human rights of future generations. Um, and I wanted to see whether some of these arguments, human rights arguments that were proving so successful in the cases that were being launched against governments could also be used in cases against businesses, mm -hmm. which had there have been some sort of uh, references to human rights in those cases, but it's been a much less um, big issue. Uh, and I thought that there was a really good chance that these human rights arguments could be used against businesses because of a body of law that's been developing that says that business has such a massive influence on our lives and our society at the moment, that it needs to also have some responsibilities um, attached to the level of power yeah. that it has and that businesses really should be responsible for the human rights impacts um, of, of their activities. And this has gained a lot of traction at the international level and we're now seeing it 
progress through to the, the national level and seeing more countries starting to enact laws that say businesses have a responsibility to protect human rights, to respect human rights. Uh, and to uh, take action, to develop processes to make sure that their business activities aren't contributing to human rights harms anywhere in the world. And so I wanted to know whether the companies most responsible for climate change, which is about 50 major um, resource extraction companies and cement companies, um, collectively known as the carbon majors, I wanted to know whether they accepted this idea that businesses do have a responsibility um, for uh, human rights uh, abuses and and whether they had any uh, processes in place or they claim to have any processes in place to um, deal with those. Uh, And so I looked at around 200 documents from these 50 companies and I found that a huge number of them, over 70%, say that they do respect human rights and that they do have processes in place um, uh, to try and make sure that their activities don't contribute to human rights harms. So then I looked and I wanted to know, well, do they recognize that since climate change is the biggest human rights issue of the century, they should be applying these processes that they say that they have for protecting human rights to the issue of climate change? And I found that only one company makes that connection explicitly but that there are lots of companies that have started to um, recognize that where their actions have a negative impact on the environment, and that leads to um, uh, harms to local communities, they should be applying these processes. And so I think the next step in this conversation should be saying, well, why aren't you applying these processes to the harms that your activities are causing because of your massive contributions to climate change. Right. Uh, and I think we should be talking to those companies and, and trying to negotiate with them and say, you need to protect these communities. You need to contribute to efforts to adapt to climate change. You need to up your game on um, mitigating the, the emissions that your company is producing. And preventing the harm. Yeah, yeah, and prevent the harm that's taking place. And if they don't do that, even though they've said they respect human rights, then I think we have a really good argument that would allow us to, to take them to court and say, well, you say this on the one hand, but you're not doing it in this really incredibly important area. Uh, yeah, wow. So so yeah, Kate's research is connecting all of these interesting things. And I will, of course, put a put a link up to it on the podcast. But um, as she said, lots of people have been suing governments saying that they're not taking enough responsibility um, for citizens. Uh, but Kate's Kate's work really starts to build the support for showing that industry and especially these carbon majors, these groups who have created a hugely disproportionate amount of the, the greenhouse gas emissions over the last century, and especially have done it knowingly over the last several decades, knowing that those emissions contributed to the harms and often were trying to undermine that science in the public and saying that citizens also could start um, leveraging 
the legal power against industry. Yeah, and I think it's really it's really great that you make that connection with the fact that many of these companies not only have contributed to climate change, made huge contributions to the greenhouse gas emissions um, in the world, but have also done that knowingly and have been kind of misleading the science. And I always love how there's that connection <laughs> between the research that you're doing and the research yeah. that I've been doing. And it's been uh, always wonderful to talk to you about it and, yeah. and to, to explore those connections and further. so that's why those people were so right that we had to meet each other <laughs> good good on you folks who told us who told us um so after you finished your master's of law you became the first ever coordinator of the ubc climate hub and i've mentioned the climate hub a few times in past episodes i can't help it it's something that brings me so much joy and meaning uh, it's a student-led university-supported initiative with a mission to connect and empower university and community stakeholders to take bold action for a just, low-carbon future. And Kate, you've really given so much energy to the Hub. You've really kind of brought us roaring to life. And I know myself and all of the other students and volunteers are immensely grateful for your wisdom, leadership, and empathy. So you've been with the Hub from the very beginning. What, what drew you to the work? I have to say it's been an amazing experience and what really drew me to it was the passion of the the students who had um, been working on this on this idea and uh, the kind of potential that I saw in leveraging the resources of a big institution like UBC and making sure that some of those resources were put into supporting these students who had this incredible passion to take action on climate change and to inspire others to take action around them. And um, that was really inspiring for me. And it, it, it made me really kind of jump in feet first to um, trying to get the climate hub off the ground. And it's been just such an incredible experience doing it. And um, so great to see all of the ideas not least yours, because um, Grace has been a huge, huge driving force behind the Climate Hub. And I think without, you know, the force of your personality, uh, I might not have got involved and <laughs> many others wouldn't have. So um, it's been wonderful working on it. Yeah, it's been so lucky that that just came together with your background and your management skills and that we were able to have this kind of beginning because I mean, even the last couple of weeks, we've just seen every single one of our events is packed to the gills, sold out. And I think that's because students are identifying the content they want to see and are kind of leading the charge. They know they know what they need um, and they're asking for it. So could you tell us about some of the projects the Hub is working on or some of the things you're excited about? Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about everything that the Hub is doing, and I won't try and talk about everything <laughs> now. There are a lot of things. <laughs> um, because there are a huge amount of things. Um, I'm really excited about, uh, I guess, rather than talking about a specific project, I want to I talk about the approaches that we're using. So I'm really excited about uh, an approach that we're adopting that is really grounded in research around what, is effective when you're talking to people about climate change because so often people uh, are bombarded with facts and figures and things that convey the 
urgency of climate change, but don't give them a sense of what they can do, how mm. they can help, how they can uh, act within their communities, whether that's um, you know small individual actions or uh, contributing to larger collective actions. And so I think that the approach that we're adopting, which allows us to kind of marry this um, urgency, no, no one uh, working for the Climate Hub is denying that this is a really important issue that we have uh, very little time to yeah. to turn and a complicated one and nuanced and full of justice ramifications exactly yeah. but that nonetheless we shouldn't take the the magnitude of the challenge as a reason not to do something about it right yeah. not not to act and not to to start that action within our communities and so I think that approach has been really exciting and and I'm particularly excited about one of the projects um, that we're working on with with you Grace and, and a number of the students um, kind of translating some of these, some of this approach and some of these messages into um, something that we can uh, spread, a message we can spread not just to UBC students, but to, to school students, high school students across the region. And I think that's going to be really yeah. powerful. Yeah. So we're going to be working on these climate ambassador workshops. We've already piloted one. And it is really to give young people, especially high school students, this sense that there is still hope and that they have agency on this problem, that by no means are they the ones that have to solve it, that we're all in it together. Um, but we've heard from so many who want to feel like they have a future and that there's something they can do. And so, yeah, really bringing that into the high schools has been amazing. Um, just, yeah, it brings me so much joy working with that generation. Um, so if people are interested, how can they support the hub and get involved? So there's a, a couple of different ways, and it sort of depends on on who um, who it is who's interested. So if you're a UBC student, then I really encourage you to, to reach out to us through our Facebook group um, uh, and learn about how you could volunteer and get involved, or if you have a project you want to do, how we could support it. We're also um, always looking to partner with people who are working with community groups and organizations or, or who are thinking of starting a community group and organization to see how we can leverage the university resources to support that work that they're doing. We really want to see other people um, taking this model of the Climate Hub and trying to apply it in their own schools or universities or institutions and thinking about how they can um, use the the institutional knowledge and, and um, resources and power that, that uh, they experience in their own life to, um, uh, to come up with something that increases climate action around the world. Um, and then the final way is because of the world we're living in, all of the work that we do does take uh, money. And so we'll be putting up a link with this podcast, I think, um, that shows where you can uh, donate um, a little bit of money to the Climate Hub if, if you have it um, and if you have it to spare. Uh, and we're really, really grateful for any donations that people are able to give. Yeah, so I will put all those links up. Um, but I just want to carry on one of the things Kate said. We... We students started the Climate Hub, um, and we started it in a very short period of time. So if you're you're sitting at home and you're not sure exactly how you can start, I would just encourage you just find at least one other person who shares this dream with you and then start meeting and start brainstorming, and a few others will come, and then just start knocking on doors and reminding people that this is a climate emergency and the biggest human rights issue of our time, and that every group and institution at every level has to step up our action. And 
it worked. And now we have this just incredible, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that it worked and we have this incredible thing and it's already moving so many people and bringing so much joy and we are just ready to keep charging and scaling that up. Yeah, and I think it's something that we need at every level of society. People like you guys who are listening to this, reminding people that climate change isn't an issue that can be sort of like third or fourth on the priority list, right? This is this is going to affect all of our futures. We know that our climate is already changing. And we now are at a point where we get to decide, well, how much is it going to change? And, and how are we going to respond to those changes? And so it's so important to just make the space to talk about it. Um, and that everyone can do that. And it, the power of doing it can't be underestimated. And that just that it's like amazing like we all just love coming to the hub so much like it's just this like this community and it always feels so vibrant I always get such a smile on my face when I come to our office and everyone is chatting and working together and we're so supportive yeah um, I've just been having a really fun <laughs> afternoon with uh with three three or four of the people involved in the climate hub all all sitting and working together on these incredibly important issues and and having fun while we're doing it it is it's and, amazing. Yeah, and so I've mentioned before that we've found this kind of Gryffindor common room-like space in the climate movement that um, it can seem so scary, but when you lean in um, and come together with your community to face this huge threat and this injustice, it, it can actually be the most meaningful thing that you do. But Kate, you've really facilitated that atmosphere at the hub. Um, do you have any tricks for other people for how to foster that energy and connection? <laughs> well, I'm flattered that you think <laughs> I'm really flattered that you think that I have done that. And it is it is something I try and do. And I think at root, uh, I always try and approach everything as a learning exercise, as an experience where I say, I don't know everything. Um, you know, I may never have done this sort of thing before in my life. And there's going to be other people in the room who don't know everything, but everyone knows something and everyone can contribute something, no matter what that is. And I, I think that if you approach things in that way, with that idea that we're all learners learning all the time, uh, and that no one way is going to be the right way, then you can really um, facilitate an atmosphere where everybody feels they can contribute and that their skills and that their thoughts and their ideas are valued. And, mm -hmm. and I think that everyone in the Climate Hub does that. Um, and uh, it's been uh, a joyful um, <laughs> uh, atmosphere to work in because of it. I love that. I really love that. So my final question for you, Kate. What gives you hope on climate change? <laughs> well, as, as you know, I'm an avid listener to the podcast. So I've been waiting for that one. <laughs> and of course, I think it's obvious from, from some of what I've been saying that um, I find a lot of hope and inspiration in um, the energy that students with the Climate Hub, that other people that I've encountered in the climate movement are are putting into this. And for me, a lot of that hope comes from the fact that these are people who are recognizing the seriousness of this issue, kind of looking at it head on and not trying to pretend it's not serious, but then taking that and saying, so now what are we going to do, mm -hmm. you know, and, and taking that, that little piece of, of action away from some of these conversations about heavy topics. And for me, I, I find it so hopeful and inspiring every time, you know, I, get sad about a news story or, or, or something that I see on climate change, I, um, I take 
myself back to that place of all of these people with all of this action and I think no we can change things mm. well thank you so much Kate it was an absolute privilege and a and a delight to chat with you today and I guess I chat with you every day, (laughs) but especially today. (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting me uh, to be on the podcast, Grace. I am a big fan, so it's a real honor to be um, to be part of the part of the podcast. And I I really hope that everyone listening has had as much fun (laughs) um, with this conversation as we have. (laughs) Yes, me me too. Um, And today, now I'll get to the call to action. Today's call to action is to learn about and support youth-led climate initiatives. Youth across the world are organizing for climate justice in so many different ways, including divestment campaigns, political movements like Sunrise, education initiatives, rallies, and global school strikes. They need allies to show up to, support, and amplify their movement. As always, I'll post some links to get you started. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to Planet Potluck. And remember, we're all in this together. You're listening to Planet Potluck, hosted by me, Grace Nosek. There's lots more to learn at planetpotluck.com.